0: Start mm-hmm. shaking Hey gang, thank you for listening to a very special edition of Book Club. Our guest this time is author Joel Selvin. Joel has a long history as a music writer, as a journalist, as an author—much too much for us to get into on this one. But what we're talking about this time is the re-release of a book that he wrote in that came out in 1998, called *Sly and the Family Stone: The Oral History*. Now, Sly is one of those characters that the last few years, 10 or so years, I have become more and more just fascinated by. The thing you forget is he is still alive. He is out there living in a Winnebago somewhere, but he's there. And he he became so consumed by drugs 45, 50 years ago that it derailed his life his legacy, and his music to some degree. And Sly and the Family Stone is one of those bands that once you get it into your blood, it is hard to get out because it is so good. And this guy ruined it all. And the book that Joel wrote is features as many characters as you're possibly going to get that was in the inner circle. Family members, band members, managers, lawyers, you name it, other, other musicians, that it's gonna that is gonna paint the picture for you of what it was like at this time to be in this group, and it's there. It's equal parts wonderful and exciting and horrifying. So anyway, this book is now being re-released. It originally came out in '98. It's coming back out now. Joel's here to talk about it. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Joel, one of the other many books that Joel has written is he worked with Sammy Hagar on his Red. Memoir, which is one of my favorite music books of all time. So at the end of this conversation, we talk a little bit about that too. Now, I have a copy of Sly and the Family Stone, uh, the oral history to give away and to a Patreon supporter, and we'll talk about that more at the end. Okay? Uh, I believe Joel was calling in from San Francisco, if I remember right. Okay, so let's kick this off. Sly and the Family Stone in oral history was originally released in 1998. It's being reissued now. I'm curious what... Well, first and foremost, I, I don't know about you, Joel. I find it shocking when I realize that Sly is still alive. Because huh. he's a he's a ghost. He's a mysterious figure. that, And I feel like his legacy uh, should be a much bigger deal. And it's because he is he does not take good care of his legacy. You know, he's largely forgotten about and he shouldn't because that music still sounds as exciting as it ever did. What made you decide to write this book back in the day? Uh, well,
1: actually it was somebody else's idea. It was an assignment. Uh, it was part of a series of books of oral histories that were supposed to sweep out some of the forgotten corners of pop music. Um, I kind of overachieved on this book uh, and and got very lucky in some of the contacts that I made, especially Hamp Banks, who had been mm-hmm. uh, Sly's brother-in-law during all this and was kind of like the gangster in charge of the whole scene. Mm-hmm. And Hamp became a, a very willing uh, a co-conspirator, uh, not only telling me his story uh, but uh, dragging out a lot of guys that wouldn't have talked to me if Hamp hadn't uh, 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 contacted them and, and got them. So um, once I got onto the project and, and, and realized what I was dealing with, uh, I, I really I went way over and above. These were supposed to be books that were one or two interviews. I did over forty interviews. Yeah, it's that book's my cred in the hood. Uh, those all those people were so anxious to unburden themselves the band's legacy as you call it was at an all-time low and nobody had been around asking about it a lot of these people had never talked about this stuff before uh and i ended up with just this extraordinarily vivid fresh account you know, I do this a lot, talk to people about things that happened back in their past, and quite often it's very difficult for them to, to draw really clear, specific recollections. In this case, everybody remembered their contact with Sly Stone. It was like a hyper-reality, and uh, the, the way they tell their stories, it, it, it turned out to be extraordinarily effective way to deal with the material. I did write a like a lengthy account of the making of riot going on for a cover article for Mojo magazine, mm-hmm. August 2001, great date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the uh, it, it didn't it, it, it had a lot of the same quotes in it, right? But it mm-hmm. it, it didn't really benefit from my literary efforts that, that mm-hmm. these people told their own story better. And as far as the legacy, yeah, man, if Sly had died in 1972, you know, he'd be up there with Janice and Jimmy and Morrison and all that. But instead, he lived to drag his own reputation down, 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 down to the point where he skipped bail on a a drug charge in Los Angeles and lived uh, as a fugitive from justice for like a couple of years. Um, so, you know, you, you couldn't ask,
0: you couldn't go lower and still be alive. Right now he is not quoted in this book and that doesn't surprise me because he's an anomaly. I think now he lives in like a Winnebago and just has like an, I think he has like a console or some, something he would call a studio in there. And that's how he wants to live. He just kind of parks on the side of the street in Crenshaw somewhere and makes music that no one will ever hear. Did you? Did you have? Did you even get close to getting him included in this book anywhere? Was he at all willing to talk?
1: I don't think I even tried. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember this. Uh, 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 I don't think I. He was extremely inaccessible. That was before the comeback and the Grammys and all that. Uh, and I really didn't know what he could add to the dialogue, other than yeah, I did all that shit. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, I had a couple of phone conversations with Sly. Uh, at a point when his uh, attorneys had him in rehab, and they had this big case going, and they were financing the case, so they were, they were they were interested in in managing Sly's whole. Scene, uh, and they were looking for a project after he got out of rehab, mm. and they thought a book might be a, a, a good idea. So, uh, I ended up on the phone with him once because the lawyers set it up, and a second time he had some girlfriend call me back, uh, to walk him through the payout again. He didn't quite understand, like, when you do the work and when you mm-hmm. get the money. That, that was like his, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, he wanted to know. Could he get $90,000 out of a book deal so that he could buy a recreational vehicle? Now, that's interesting because $90,000 is a modestly priced RV. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't even looking for a deluxe model. He was just looking for something. And you're right. He was, at that point, living in an RV that was parked in his lawyer's driveway.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. he was awarded like $5 million bucks recently, a yeah, couple years got ago. Yeah,
1: that got whacked on appeal. Oh, it did? He'll, he'll okay. never win that case. Okay. okay. He signed too many things. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> I point, if- so David Kaeperlik was the manager of the band during its its heyday, and, and he had a 50-50 deal with Sly on some publishing that he never got any money on and eventually sued over it. And in discovery, David found a document that Sly signed in 1991 Right after he came out of being a fugitive from justice, in which he granted one hundred percent of his royalties to his current manager Jerry Goldstein, and wow. and we assume that he did that as a way of dodging an IRS lien. But oh. it's a, it's a it's a solid contract. I mean, he signed
0: away yeah. all his uh, royalties. Wow! So he makes no he makes no money now i guess no I mean, he it,
1: makes no money now so, the publishing i just assumed he would get by, some
0: mailbox money and that's what allows him to pay for gas or whatever and no the, he,
1: i don't i don't think he gets any uh mailbox money he may he may get some writers money but the 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 publishing is owned half by warner Chapel, which is the biggest music publisher in the world and the other half by michael jackson
0: oh that's right that's right. He did that. Yeah, he did that to the Beatles, too. Wow. So do you? I feel like the Sly story is, I mean, rock docs and bio biopics and everything are so hot and have been for about 15 years now. To me, he is the artist most in need of an in-depth documentary or something to tell this story. You know, do you know that, do people try and it doesn't happen? Is there no interest? What do you think? There's always somebody that's like
1: poking around on this story, always has been. Uh, 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 Vibe Magazine back in the 80s, this guy Joe Wood did a really uh, extensive looking for Sly Stone. There was a Dutch filmmaker who made a very amusing little uh, independent movie about going around the country trying to find Sly. Uh, there's a couple of uh, twins that have done a lot of work on this stuff. Um, and I hear Questlove is doing your oh, documentary good. that you're talking about. And I also good. understand that Ben Greenman has completed a a, um, a book with Sly. It'll be published really? next year by Farrar, with Strauss, Sly. and Gerard.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now, you being from San Francisco, did your history go back with him? Did you meet him back in the day, even maybe the pre, well, back we were, when he was a uh, DJ?
1: We, we were uh, uh, soul music fans, mm-hmm. and he was the coolest thing on R&B radio in San Francisco uh, on a, a small station called K-Soul, and then he did so well on K-Soul that they, the, the big R&B station, KDIA, Lucky 13, uh, mm-hmm. they hired him. And uh, I'll, I'll, his band started happening a little bit. He'd had bands all along, but the Sly and the Family Stone started happening a little bit, so he wasn't on radio too regular. And it's Saturday morning, and I'm driving on the freeway. Uh, I remember this absolutely vividly. It was a beautiful day, and I'm riding along Aquatic Park in uh, Berkeley, and Sly is doing a guest set on KDIA. And he says... He wants to play his new record. And bing, on comes dance to the music. And, uh, man, it was like a door opened in my head and a new world of song came in right then and there. I mean, before we got down to that, I want to add some bottom, I was already <laughs> in this other world. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was very much a part of the uh, the the San Francisco scene uh the early days of the band was kind of relegated to a little bit of an outer circle not san francisco so much but south bay uh, the the winchester cathedral in redwood okay. city yep. or losers which was a club in san jose or yeah. frenchies in hayward mm-hmm. so those were sort of suburban yep. nightclubs they weren't hippie things they were more yep. like car clubs and guys with still grease in their hair. Mm-hmm. Uh but that was where they were woodshedding. And you you know, you knew about it because all those uh, clubs advertised on the radio saying this weekend, slide the family stone at Winchester Cathedral. Mm-hmm. You know another band that played Winchester Cathedral a lot was Chocolate Watch Band. I don't know them. Oh yeah, they're they're big garage rock band from uh, San Jose. The really? their albums are big collectors' items, and Ooh. they were in those uh um uh, th- those teen movies out that, uh, that Mike Curb produced. Oh, I'm writing that down right now.
0: Chocolate Watchman, One Step Beyond. I probably have heard of them and am not recollecting it. That's Mickey really Hart
1: cool. of the Grateful Dead. Oh sure, sure, uh, sure. Saw Sly in the Family Stone at, at Winchester Cathedral. He was working at the time. Uh, in a drum shop that his father owned in San Carlos. So it's kind of in the neighborhood and he'd heard about it. And he went in and he, he, he he reports, you know, that this was completely tribal, primitive, atavistic rites conducted by, you know, soul man and and his uh, associates.
0: That's it. Now you mentioned earlier about this being uh, kind of overextending yourself, this being a small assignment that you made into a big thing. Did you do that because what you the information you were getting back was so rich? Was it because you were finding people who were willing to talk and you thought this story needs to be told? What sparked you to take it further? So I think the current cliche
1: on that is rabbit hole. Uh
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> right? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I mm. went around and I talked to the people in the band mm. and they had a little story that they'd worked up. You know, like a lot of victims of abuse and trauma, they they have a sanitized, safe story that and 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 it's practiced. And then I met Hamp and J B and and all those guys uh Eddie Chin and 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 started hearing about like in the, the the road crew getting beat up and and the and massive drug abuse and you know Stephanie and her relationship was I mean it just was like. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Then I circled back with the band mm-hmm. and did second interviews with everybody. And it was like, oh, uh, oh, he told mm-hmm. you about that, did he? Oh, uh, well, yeah. You know, and uh, it, it really was an entirely different world. You know, yeah. Jerry Martini, five hours of him just like pouring out this tremendously traumatic experience in his life. Yes. Um, ready. His brother, his oh, poor Freddy. hapless brother. Yes. Uh, he, he's incapable of being disingenuous. He sat in his church in Vallejo and just and just told me everything I asked. And he, oh yeah, well no, uh, that wasn't uh, that wasn't PCP. That was angel dust. Oh okay, Freddie. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> poor Freddie. You know, he's one of know, the characters. You know, uh, once I I started, you know, getting this material, I I I just couldn't resist every, yeah. uh, you know, following up every lead and talking to these people. And and Hamp Banks was uh, just such an inspiration, and such an enthusiastic supporter. And 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 if he called somebody, like I'd been calling Bobby Womack for weeks, mm. leaving messages. He says, Hamp says, give me give me the phone. So we call up Womack, he goes, leaves a message, says, uh, it's Hamp. I'm up here, I'm with this fellow now, you call him back. Forty minutes later, the phone rings, it's Womack, he says, this is Womack, and just starts talking. Oh my gosh. And just gives me the Sly Stone story. 40 minutes before I ask a single question. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And he was just completely forthcoming. Uh, And finally, I said, so why, when was the last time you spoke to Bob, Hamp?" And he says, oh, three or four years. Hmm. I says, well, you just, he just drops a message and you call him right away. He says, yeah, well. You know, he told me stuff that was honest back then. So, you know, I pay attention to what's what Hamp says. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And that's the way it was with Hamp, and and yeah. and we were friends all the rest of his life.
0: I Really, spoke at
1: his funeral. I, I spoke at his oh. funeral
0: this year. Oh, that's incredible. The book is dedicated to him. So clearly, none of this would have been uh, possible without Hamp's intervention on your behalf. With these made this book what it is. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. We were talking about Freddie a minute ago, Sly's brother, who you said it better than I could have. He and no one seems to like him exactly. He doesn't seem to be up to par musically with everyone else. I wanted to ask about his parents too, because they seem like very decent <laughs> church-going Christian. Uh, Casey, the dad's never said a swear word in his life, and yet he—they are the parents. Of these kids who just kind of go nuts for a while, you know. Did you get to know them they, parents they were, very they well?
1: Witnessed it close up uh, and 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 personal and and they so were um uh, enraptured with the scene that they ignored all kinds of things. And and Hamp's quite a specific Hamp has very little respect for uh Sly's dad. He really? felt that he was not a a, a a figure of repute. He didn't exercise his his, his paternal uh, uh, perquisites on on yeah. Sly, and uh, was quite critical of it. You know, uh, he talks about Sly chasing his dad out of a bathroom, telling him, know, we're going to use cocaine now, Dad. You got to go." Oh. And the the uh, Alpha was the same way. She she dressed up and and was the grand dame, and yeah. and played that role to the hilt. And uh, all the things that she had to ignore to do that. She ignored him.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, so they just bought into the whole thing. They got whisked away kind of with everyone else. Um, do you think that drugs, I mean ult- ultimately drugs is what kind of brought slide down. Do you think maybe if, I was gonna say, do you think drugs is what numbed his genius? But a lot of people feel strongly about There's a Riot going on. I'm not, I think it's slightly overrated. How do you feel about that album?
1: Interesting. It's a masterpiece of its, uh, uh, in, in its own way. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't know that it holds up the same way that the songs on stand do. Yeah. But to me, there's a real arc to Sly's work. And the, the just before the peak is Stand, Mm -hmm. And then right at the peak is the single Thank You For Letting Me Be Myself Again. And then right below on the backside is Riot. And Riot's an amazing record. I mean, Miles is on there. Womack's on there. Ike Turner's on there. Uh, Very little contributions from the actual members of Sly and the Family Stone. I sat down here in the record library with Greg Arrico, and we went through the album track by track to try and find his drum playing. And we found a little bit on the on the album version of Thank You. But for the most part, it's either Sly on drums or the Rhythm Ace drum machine. The yeah. single that everybody knows, Fam, uh, Family Affair, yeah. that's Sly, Rose, Billy Preston, and a drum machine. Oh, that's it. Wow.
0: Wow. Greg, I contacted Greg after reading the book because I was so taken with all of it. And uh, he and I are talking after the holidays to kind of color in this story a little bit more. Do you, um, how do you, how do you feel about those last few albums? It feels like, I think there's still a lot of value up until even ain't, but the one way. I think that's his last album. If I remember right. Um, I think there's still value in what he's doing, but that sense of joy and, and, experimentation and revolution in the music is all gone it's just
1: you're right yeah good r&b well they say the cocaine you know they say the lady robs your smile yeah and Mm. and you know his smile was robbed uh no question and you're right you know there's 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 moments where he's alive and well on every record um you know fresh is, is is got amazing things on it in uh, Time is Astonishing. Andy Newmark did that first take, blew everybody away. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, small talk has its moments. And, it, you know, you get down to things like his little appearance on the Jesse Jackson record. Uh, uh, it, it's, it, you know, it it, it lights up there one. for a minute. Really? Oh, uh, crazy, I think it's called. Okay. That's one of his, like, final moments before he yeah. just disappeared completely. Oof. But, yeah, there, there, there's something to the guy that was just magical and it was just musical and 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 he could express himself in ways that other people really couldn't. But yeah, he he destroyed himself, he destroyed everything around him. He did it with drugs. He did it with uh nutrition. Uh he did it with ego. He did it with uh uh hostility all those things you know it was the, the most amazing bit of self-destruction and it just went on for years
0: yeah still going on you know what's interesting too is um in reading the book i would often look up youtube clips of interviews i've always felt like he was actually a fairly articulate person you watch like him and muhammad ali on mike douglas there's even an appearance of him in the early days of letterman probably promoting that last album and he is still a very articulate thoughtful well-spoken guy you wouldn't believe um, well, he's not now. Obviously, you can see some clips of him on YouTube in his Winnebago now, but it must have been PCP that just brought that all down. Because there's a really intelligent guy in there, you know. So the people that spoke to me about Sly
1: from before Woodstock, from like <laughs> the guy who was on the radio. The guy who produced the Bo Brummel's records, the guy who wrote the Bobby Freeman record, and 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 all that—they talk about somebody that's an entirely different person from the one that went to Woodstock or came back from Woodstock, more uh, accurately. Uh, bright, lively, engaged, brilliant, creative, um, not bound generically a uh, uh, genre. You know, he he was a rock and roll That's guy. Right. He loved the Beatles. He loved Dylan. He was into Lord Buckley. Uh, so he wasn't just like James Brown and Motown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he had this real big vision. Uh, always had his hands in music and radio and writing and producing and da-da-da. Um, one of the old-timers. Uh, around here. I remember seeing him about 1963. So that's before the Beatles uh, playing guitar uh, at a, a Broadway nightclub and doing Hook and Took a My Soda Cracker. Ugh. And that's a perfect Sly Stone song.
0: Wow. I don't know that one. I got to hear it's that. It's a
1: Chubby Checker hit. Hook and Took a oh. My Soda Cracker. Does your mama chaw tobacco? I know. If your mama chaw tobacco, say Hook and Took a My Soda
0: Cracker. <laughs> oh, my God. I got to see this. Oh, that's great. Wow, that is great. I, one thing I was curious, I wondered if you ever felt, um, if it was a decision that you made not to insert really any narrative arc to go along with the quotes. And I'll give you an example as to why. I, I know that he has, well, in the, in the introduction to the book, you learn that he had a kid with Cynthia Robinson, who's in the band. And I'm waiting the whole time for this moment to kind of appear. And then it, she mentions it almost offhandedly near the end of the book. And, but, and I thought that's a, that feels like a really big moment to me to father a child with the band member, but she's not your girlfriend. She's not anything. It must've just been some one night thing. I don't know that much about it.
1: I think it was a one night thing. I think Cynthia was in love with Sly, uh, from before Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, And I think that Sly was exploited her any way he wanted. I don't think he ever acknowledged uh, uh, fraternity for Cynthia's girl. Fun was her name. P-H-U-N-N-E. And uh, Fun is about the same age as Sly Jr. So I think that's what comes up in the book is the sly's wife and cynthia having a little exchange about having babies at the same time that's
0: right that's it yep that's it incredible one other thing too that comes out is kathy silva who is the woman he married at madison square garden during that concert first of all you understand why the marriage was doomed from the beginning you can kind of understand you kind of get the impression that she may not have wanted to be there in the first place, really. She was so young and sort of involved in this underworld that she had no, you know, comfort when in. No, she was it seemed kind of scary the whole time. And she was kind of aware it was just a promotional publicity stunt, right? Kathy was a pathetic gal.
1: Um is she still I, I alive? I early... don't even know. Yeah, I, I believe she is. Uh okay. I met her early in the morning in a las vegas casino and and we conducted the interview in one of those little bars in the middle of the casino uh and, and and it was an extremely wrenching emotional interview she was in tears through a great deal of it um and again other people were more descriptive about it than she was um but she didn't deny stuff i mean Sly was fascinated with her sister, and and he had the sister and her as bookends in bed. Mm. Uh, and when she showed up in Sly's life, she was Billy Preston's girlfriend, and she wasn't at the end of that afternoon. She was pretty much kind of in, uh, kidnapped by Sly. Okay. Wow, gorgeous oh, young lady, uh, yeah. so Polynesian extraction and and just but. And, and and I I say this advisedly, but dumb is a rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just a, a, a classic uh, uh, victim for, um, y- y- you know, abuse. Yeah. And that's, that's what she was. Yeah. But that's what Sly was. He was an abuser. I mean, the whole thing, you haven't mentioned the dog.
0: I, I was getting, that's my next note here. There's a chapter <laughs> called Dogs and Guns or Guns and Dogs or something like that. I mean, there comes a point where There's it's I'm in my impression is that he lives in this mansion. There's probably no windows or the windows are blacked out or whatever. So no one knows what time of day it is. And there's just dogs everywhere, pooping on the floor. There's guns everywhere and there's drugs everywhere. That's what I'm imagining.
1: I was at the Coldwater Canyon place when I was a college newspaper journalist and I'd been arranged at an interview range and it, it was it was pretty forbidding it was uh and you know sly was in uh full dudgeon. you know uh he brought like three of the band members into the room for the interview and said we are a group so you ask us all questions and of course the other three never said a word oh, right oh. uh he also had some grass that was soaked in 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 angel dust that was like whoa <laughs> uh all you know very intimidating very you know i don't know what this guy had time to fuck around with a college newspaper writer i I don't know why but that was his thing that day so i was up there i saw the scene uh but to hear like uh Greg or or, or uh, Greg got out of there. Coldwater was the place where he went. Uh and he has gone. Uh Jerry Martini moved into the pool house at Coldwater and he makes it sound like hell on earth. Yeah. Um, and then that's before they moved into the Beverly Hills place which is where they recorded Riot in the studio in the attic that was reached through a secret passageway. Uh, a bookcase that you had to push aside. Really? Yeah, it was Jeanette McDonald's house, and 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 uh, John Phillips and Michelle Phillips had been renting it, and and Sly sublet it from them, uh, and and he just tore that place apart. But like wow. you say, there were no clocks. Yeah. And there were no windows in the attic, and they they, they just ran through people up there. They just yeah. you know the the sessions would go on for days, and then when he got bored. It was time for the pit bull. Oh,
0: gosh. Um, I want to ask you about some personalities that come out. You mentioned Jerry. One thing I got the impression about Jerry, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that he almost liked the life a little bit more than he wants to admit or should have, because in most of his quotes, he's like, yeah, my first wife and I did this, or my was. By the, uh, My second wife and I had to discuss this. I got the impression that he was trying to be a family guy, but also he had a dark side that this life was speaking to heavily. Am I wrong about that? Well, that's an interesting viewpoint. Jerry definitely uh,
1: was enthusiastic associate of Slice from before the band and extremely enthusiastic about being in the band. It it lifted him up to where he wanted to be as a musician. And so, yeah, he put up with a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know how serious he was about being a family man. He was definitely serious about being a married man, but he didn't make any of those gals pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the second wife, um, you you know, I know her from her third, her her current husband. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, she was... Horrified by what uh, he was going through, uh, it essentially ended their relationship. Um, yeah. And Jerry, you know, when I met Jerry, he was playing five nights a week in some hotel lounge in in Honolulu, uh, and he had a wife with a drug problem, uh, which oh. was very common in, in Hawaii in the nineties. Ice, yeah, it was kind of it was kind of like crack, but it was made out of speed. Oof. Uh, so he, 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 it's, it's never been easy being Jerry Martini, but That's he's a really up. upbeat guy and, 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 and really a positive spirit. Mm. Uh, I don't know, you know, how many positive spirits Sly was able to attract. Gregorico the same way. Yeah. Gregorico sees the good in everybody. He's yeah. a really uh, just a swell guy. And it, when you talk to him, ask him about his brother Mario and Mario's relationship with Sly, because that uh, when when Sly first came back, w- w- you know Mario was like his 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 man. Mario was the guy that was keeping him between the gutters. Really, I don't know how that wound up, but
0: I, you know I I could yeah. I could guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I want to ask you too about Larry Graham. Uh, Larry is considered you know one of the most preeminent bassists. But it got. He mentions in there a few times that the, Heath saw it playing the bass as a temporary thing. That was not meant to be his key um, or main instrument. And yet, he's one of the most influential bassists ever. And speaking of a guy who cleaned up his act, I mean, you mentioned somewhere in there, or someone makes a quote about Larry coming in with like hookers under each arm or whatever. And probably, I think he's a married guy too. They probably all are. But that guy, I think, cleaned up his act thanks to Jehovah Witness uh is a or whatever very much so
1: yeah uh yeah, Larry was um uh, in a in a in his mother's act, his mother was a a piano player who played like Errol Garner and sang like Dinah Washington, mm-hmm. and teenage Larry was playing bass in nightclubs with her, and because it was just the two of them. He developed a, a a more robust style of bass involving his thumb and that popping deal. Mm-hmm. So some gal that knew Sly brought him to see the Delgram trio, which was Larry. And, and and Sly saw what we know. I mean, that popping bass and realized that that was a very good asset. Now Larry got to be sort of like in competition with Sly as they became more and more successful, and uh, he became a little bit of a gangster himself. And and uh, but he he really he he was a mama's boy. He really didn't have Mm. the the werewolf. So was Sly, by the way. All these gangsters, the you know they they had a phrase for it. They'd say, "Oh, he's not that guy," and and what they meant was that. Sly could pretend to be a gangster, but he wasn't really. Wow. And if somebody was going to get beat up, Sly wasn't going to be the guy to do it. Yeah. But Larry wasn't that guy. Hmm. And the uh, they ran afoul of each other. Uh, and uh, there there's an, an epic scene uh, at uh, the Cavalier Motel in Los Angeles where they beat the crap out of the road crew. And go after Larry and his and, and his girlfriend and they, and he has to be snuck out of the hotel and he never comes back to Sly in the family stone. Oh. He's he's in the back seat on the floor of a car being t- driven away and that's how he left the band. So, you know, Larry's a very circumspect character, especially with the Jehovah's Witnesses thing. And we had a our, our second interview and he was like freaked out and really just closed up and hung up. And then like two or three nights later I get a phone call from Larry. And I know he had to go through considerable amount of just to get my phone number. But he called up and he wanted to know what happened to him. He told me he says when you mentioned the Cavalier Motel, I realized that you know something that I probably don't. Ooh. And he wanted to know what I knew. I told him, if you think, if you're wondering, did you leave that band uh, in fear for your life with any good reason or not? Yep, you had good reason. Hamp says Black had a gun in his pocket and Black was coming gunning for you. And uh, his his agenda was to shoot you. And uh, Black, who's long dead, was was the real henchman of that crowd. Uh, The real black bag guy. And when I mentioned his name to Larry, I could feel Larry's blood run cold over the phone.
0: I bet. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of which, I was imagining you mentioned David Kapralik. I never was sure how to say it. Kapralik. 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 Okay. And then Ken Roberts comes in later. These guys are basically his managers. And I think what a nightmare of a job it must be to manage Sly Stone, who is refusing to show up for... 25% of of the shows that he's committed to do. 75. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) He missed 40 concerts one year. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And you're in charge of this guy. You're basically babysitting someone who is unmanageable.
1: Well, Ken Roberts didn't have any problem with it. It was a real simple deal to him. It was all about the money, and and he didn't have any uh, uh, illusions about Sly. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he picks up Sly. At a point where Sly was just unbookable, unmanageable, and if Sly wanted any money, he did what Ken Roberts said, and mm. he, that that happened. And Ken was managing four seasons at the time. So when I when I went to visit Ken, uh, he lived up in Mandeville Canyon in uh, Los Angeles, and and had a plastic horse in the front yard of his uh, uh, little ranch, and his office he had four photographs. Like a Corona mm-hmm. uh, and on a shelf behind him, it was Ken and Reagan, Ken and Bush, Ken and Clinton, Ken and Sinatra. Oh. So you know, I mean, he's that guy. Yeah, and and I told Rachel Donahue, Tom Donahue's widow, who's quite the the the, the wit, uh, that I had been up to see Ken, and she said, "Yeah, old paint needs a new coat." <laughs>
0: <laughs> now somewhat in the book i can't remember who i would attribute this quote to mentions or uh presumes that dave david was in love with sly is he was is that was he so he was gay yeah,
1: D- david's what... not a simple man to understand you know people would say he was gay uh but he was you know m- more walt whitman than that you know he contained multitudes uh and uh yeah, he loved Sly. He 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 saw Sly at Winchester Cathedral. And his entire career changed on on, on the spot. And his career was amazing. I mean, he was Goddard Lieberson's right hand man at Columbia Records. He auditioned Irving Berlin musicals. He took Betty Davis to the opening of My Fair Lady on Broadway. He signed Barbara Streisand, Andy Williams. He fired John Hammond. I mean, you know, all kinds of he just had an amazing career and and an amazing life. And the the, the day he met Sly everything changed. Oh, sure oh
0: my gosh. It sure did. Um, okay. let's I me think look there over were three suicide attempts. That's right. That, oh, I meant to ask you about that. He mentions it a few times in there, just driven to the brink by this guy's, you know, unreliability or whatever drama. That well, David is- had his own drug problems. Well, no, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't helping himself at He was, he was, he at was all.
1: snorting as much below as slide given.
0: Yeah. 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 But yeah, he turned true. into
1: the most wonderful elfin old man. And the last thing I saw of David was on Facebook. He was 93 years old and he was posing for a photograph. He was wearing a, a, a tie-dyed rainbow-colored caftan and he was laughing his ass off, and he had his hand on his
0: casket. Oh really? <laughs> that is surreal (laughs) wow these people you know it uh i hope anyone listening sees that every person we've mentioned and there's this is just scratching the surface comes with their own unique character that makes this whole story unbelievable every one of these people being in part of this the orbit of sly stone and what it makes what it means for the story is so fascinating i was mentioning earlier that a proper all-encompassing book or movie or something needs to be done about sly you still write? why aren't you the guy to do that you don't oh, want to I'm go down that a, stone book.
1: I'm, I'm perfectly happy really? I, I i you know I, uh, i'll freeze bill <laughs> uh you know I'm on to other things and uh, other topics and and uh you know I couldn't beat this one. I I've, yeah. I've taken those uh interview transcripts and I've loaned them to other people that were working on Slystone Stone projects cuz I know they're not going to get those interviews again. No, no no. And uh there there's a a biography of Sly that came out uh oh 10 15 years ago by Jeff Kalis that that is is based on those interview transcripts. Really? Wow.
0: Yeah, you're the keeper of the holy grail. Um, Well, thank you for writing this book and I'm really glad it's come back out. Can I ask you one Sammy Hagar question? Of course. Okay. Like I said, everybody who's listening should go check out your website because there's a million other books and things and articles and a life of things we could talk. Maybe you have to come back some other time when we get into everything else. But I read the Sammy Hagar book, finally, for the first time just a few months ago. And it's just one of the best music books I've ever read. And the reason I feel that way is because I love autobiographies where you can tell they're written in the language or in the voice of the person. And Sammy's is absolutely written in his own words. You know what I mean?
1: And I- Sammy was very, Sammy was excellent at telling his own story. I bet he was completely in charge and it was autopilot. All I had to do was like cut the sentences in half and put a period and a capital letter.
0: That was going to be my question. What do you do to help Sammy get his point across and his vision across? And that's it. It sounds like you just sit back and let Sammy be Sammy and you organize.
1: No problem with that. Uh, Sammy was, you know, had needed no direction whatsoever. Uh, you know, I've worked with other people on books where they were a little bit more uh, unsure of themselves and, and needed more encouragement and more It work. Sammy just spit it out. Uh, he wanted to do this book. Uh, he was highly motivated. He sees himself as the hero of his movie, and he was really happy to have the opportunity to tell this story. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was great. You know, I mean... Uh, I I I left the Chronicle after 36 years of working in the daily newspaper, and uh, and uh, I went to New York, and because I could, mm-hmm. and uh, sat with my agent and and uh, asked him about writing books, and he said, "Well, you know, Barnes and Noble going down, but Walmart is going up." I said, "Walmart." Sammy Hagar a Walmart kind of guy? And my agent goes, yeah, we can do, you know. So I called Sammy's manager who I'd known forever. And uh, Carter was a fantastic guy. He said, you know, I don't see any upside to this. It's a distraction. It's a diversion. I don't see where it solves anything or brings anything. So I say no, no, and no. So I went home. Got back, and there's a phone message from uh, Sammy on my machine saying that he doesn't like to hand out praise a lot, but that he just finished reading my Sly and the Family Stone book, and it was really great, and he wanted to give me some praise. And then a couple more phone messages, and it's Sammy again. And he says, I just talked to Carter, and Carter says you called him about writing a book. You have my number. Deal direct. So I went over to see Sammy. And I and I sat down to have the meeting, and I said, "Here's the deal, Sammy. Somewhere between like five and ten minutes into this, we're going to have a Vulcan mind meld, and um, I'll just stop talking, and we'll move forward." So I started explaining to him what I wanted to do, and it was three minutes when he went Vulcan mind meld. (laughs) And that that book was. Easy to do because of that. Sammy was motivated. He was focused, and 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 he and he really did want to like tell his story yeah. in 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 only the 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 way that. And I don't mean this disparagingly at all. That that a, a narcissist like Sammy could. He's so taken with himself, so yeah. fascinated with himself. His drama is so large in his mind. Mm-hmm. Boom he can spell that book out and all I have to do is make sure the tape recorder's on.
0: That's amazing. That's how it feels when it re- when you read it. Um, I, I loved it. Another one, you may, you probably read this, Miles Davis's autobiography. I read that a few years ago too. And that to me is one of the gold standards of books that's clearly written by the person in their voice. And, and uh, Sammy's reminds me of that. Because of how He
1: took the profanity out of the miles, it'd be about a hundred pages shorter. That's true. <laughs> uh, and,
0: and and his his co author
1: Quincy Troop is yeah very accomplished. So in, in, you know what you're looking at in the Miles Davis book is is leisure demand. I okay. mean, he really pulled Miles out of those interviews and he got him on the page. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why I wanted to mention Red, the Sammy Hagar book because I hold it in that that high esteem. Those are two of the best of those kinds of books to me because. Have you read the Art Pepper? No. Or the Anita O'Day? No, neither one. Get on it. Okay, I'm going to write these down.
1: <laughs> During the pandemic, you know, I, I uh-huh. couldn't go to bookstores anymore, uh-huh. so uh, I just started reading books that had been on my shelf that I meant to for so long, and the, and that was a lot of the jazz uh, histories that had been sitting there. So I went through and and I, I, I went through a period of reading all the the jazz autobiographies, everything from Charlie Barnett to you know whatever you know, and <laughs> and the Anita Day and the Art Pepper just bore me.
0: Really? Ooh. Okay. I'm adding those to my list right now. Joel, thank you so much for talking with me. I I mean, Sly is, I mean, we've been reckoning with it for almost an hour now. He's an enigma. And if you love him, you want to talk about him. But it's so complicated. And he is not telling his own story. And so, and there's not a lot of people telling that story for him. You're one of the only people who's even tried. And so it's so nice to hear from an expert about Sly and being able to wrap some of that stuff around my head because there's no one else on the planet really to do that with. You're one of the few. Well, we're we're really lucky that
1: we have had Hamp, and yeah, and yes. you're 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 recently refreshed uh, reading the book. So you, you know every time Hamp steps into the uh, the the dialogue, there's just this like enormous rush of it's truth
0: and that is perfectly said that's perfectly said whenever i see his name come up i think okay this guy's going to balance it all out he's going to tell it like it really is you get that from him absolutely yeah yeah well,
1: well thank you an Joel. amazing guy and uh, it, uh his funeral was like the funeral of um uh, 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 of royalty, of uh, aristocracy in oh, yeah. the Hunters Point Fillmore area. Uh, I, I don't think there were that many other white people there. but yeah. there, there were hundreds of his friends and family. And, and I, I love this. I couldn't get an exact count on the kids. You know, <laughs> I heard 12 from one of them, 16 from another. But the other thing was you couldn't count because there are a lot of women, different women involved, uh-huh. and they'd already had other kids, right? Oh, so if, if you're talking like the surrogates, right, the, uh-huh. like I don't know, 30, 40 kids grew up thinking of Hamp as a father.
0: Oh, my God. Uh,
1: and, and, and the other two people that spoke at the funeral were Freddie Stewart, who, I mean, Hamp just... Hamp beat him up. Hamp uh, uh, took him and and put him in rehab. I mean, I, I, I mean, Hamp was chief abuser of, of of Freddie, but Freddie was up there, and the other person was London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco. Of course, Hamp knew her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? Now, did Hamp? What did Hamp do with the rest of his life? Because he had been a pimp, and uh, and other unsavory things leading up to Sly. Was he legit the rest of his life, or did he go in and out of trouble?
1: you got to be kidding me. Uh, Las Vegas legal escorts. I mean, which one are you going to go? You're going to look up in the phone book, and you're going to call Las Vegas legal escorts. Okay. (laughs) One of his nephews got up at the funeral and talked about how when he was eight years old, Hamp had to babysit him, and uh-huh. he took he took the kid with him when he burned down a factory. Oh.
0: Oh my gosh, oh my gosh! When you talk about the uh, funeral, Camp didn't I- have much interest
1: in being legit. Yeah, okay. uh, but he knew everybody, and he had he had a blind pig for a while. Ran oh backgammon gosh. games, and uh, I remember taking some guy that wanted to meet Hamp out to the, the, have a taco on the block where Hamp's blind pig was. And the guy that owned the taco stand stood by our table the whole time. Like he was just standing there in case we needed something. And uh, Hamp saying, you know, Mario here, you know, he was held up five times the first week he was open here. But that was before he met me. <laughs> and Mario standing there going, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's what we're dealing with with Hamp. I His funeral, I'm imagining a couple hundred guys dressed up like Willie Dynamite or something like that, you know, like the pimps from the 70s with the big hats and the no, feathers no, no, no. and stuff like that.
1: Hamp was a bowling expert. He, he dressed like, you know, your suburban bowler, an ex-Marine, really? you know. Yeah, he did he, he didn't, he didn't flash. Wow. Uh, and and uh, but he 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 knew everybody and everybody knew him, and he had this incredible sense of humor. And he and he and he got what life was about in some yeah. elemental way that I just couldn't help but resonate with. It, it wow. you know, Hamp knew what was what. Oh my god, and, and
0: and so few of us do. Yeah, yeah, he gets it. That is great. Well, the book I'm i I love it, and the, the book now being dedicated to him is uh pays the the right respects thanks again joel for talking with me this was such a blast thanks for having me john absolutely well, this make this will be coming out i'm going to try and get it out before christmas because i want to make sure that people you know can maybe pick it up for a christmas present or something like that but i'll send <laughs> yeah, you the true. link what, scare yourself to death it <laughs> this. <laughs> that's true that's true so anyway, I'll send you over the link when I get it when it's out, and if you feel like sharing it with your fans or whatever, please do. Okay. I
1: am delighted to be the subject of your interest, and I will most certainly share this with the the, the Selvin reading public. And uh, perfect. You know, carry on. I I, I looked over your uh, uh, site, and you have been doing great work, and I'm, I'm 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 pleased to be part of this.
0: Thank you, thank you, Joel. This this has been a lot. Have a good one, man. We'll see ya. Take care. All right, there you have it, Joel Selvin. You guys, I I encourage all of you, if you have not ever done it, to get into, do a Sly Stone deep dive. Check out all the music, the solo albums, everything. It is fascinating, and it is all good. Even the albums that aren't as good still have magical, magical moments on them. It is a tragedy what he did to himself and uh, what a lot of the band members allowed to have happen. It is tragic. And Joel's book... Really colors that in for you, details a lot of it. Uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Again, as I mentioned, we have a spare copy of the book to give away to a Patreon supporter. So there's a link right here in the show notes. If you are not already a Patreon supporter, it's two bucks a month. Two bucks a month that donation will put you in the running to win any swag we ever get. And right now, it's this book this weekend. Let's see, on Friday, our family is driving to Utah because my niece is getting married on Saturday, so why not this Sunday, I will do a random drawing of our Patreon supporters, whoever puts their, you know, uh, saying, who's ever interested and says so, we'll do a random drawing and we'll see who wins, and then I will mail this book to you, it'll probably be after Christmas, because we're going to be in Utah until, uh, the week after Christmas, Okay. But anyway, I'll get it to you as soon as I can. Uh, so again, two bucks a month. I'll put something out on the Patreon page later this week. If you want in on it, let me know, and then we'll do a random drawing. Anyway, huge thanks. And check out more of Joel's stuff. I need to, too. I mean, that Sammy book is amazing if you've never read that. But go look at all the other stuff he's done, okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you. You can't cry Cause you look broke down,
1: But you're anyway Cause you're all broke to fail family friend. Well.